Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help family members and friends. This is our monthly FTD show, and I am subbing for Sharon Hall. She broke her leg ugh, last weekend, so she asked me to help out and cover for her this month. She'll be back next month. I feel very confident that her recovery is going to be speedy, and she'll be back with us next month. Just a reminder that we do have a monthly or a weekly chat on caregiving.com for persons who are caring for a family member with FTD. And that chat happens on Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 6 p.m. Central Time, 5 p.m. Mountain Time, and 4 p.m. Pacific Time. So every week on Monday evening, you can stop into the chat room. And it's a designated FTD chat room to share and connect with others who are caring for a family member with FTD. Okay, so joining me today, as she does every month with Sharon, is Dr. Jerry Hall. She's an internationally recognized advanced practice nurse, and she's with Banner Alzheimer's Institute. So welcome, Jerry. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It's delightful to be here. So this is really part two of a conversation that you started with Sharon last month about aggravating behaviors. And today we're going to talk about behaviors that are impulsive, impulsivity. So I wonder if you could give us some examples of what that impulsive behavior might be. If you can imagine it, and even if you can't imagine it, it will probably happen. Mm. Um, Many, many forms um, but it plays a part in many of the behavioral situations you see. Um, some of the common things I see in my practice are rampant spending, rampant shopping, particularly on the Internet, uh, or telephone solicitation, um, entering contests, inappropriate social comments or interactions during social gatherings, uh, particularly in uh, high-stimulus situations where there is a lot of noise or a lot of people. Um, inappropriate interactions with minor children. I had one patient who was trying to teach his two-year-old grandchild how to do handstands, and he put the child's life in real danger had he fallen on the child. Um, Sexual comments or behavior, which can include undressing, inappropriate touching, affairs, uh, masturbation, masturbation in public, Comments to strangers about their weight, about their clothing, etc. cetera. Uh, extramarital activities are very, very common. Um, and they're basically not that the person has fallen in love. It's just that they want to have sexual contact. Um, sudden divorces with spouses with no evidence of conflict or marital dissatisfaction. The patient just decides one day that he or she doesn't want to be married anymore and a divorce ends up. Um, I have a recent case uh, or a current case uh, what we've been following where um, the patient walked off and uh, picked somebody up on the street and she took him to another state. Um, and there's no evidence of, uh, had been no evidence of marital dissatisfaction before. Um, increased verbosity where the patient talks and talks and talks 
traffic mishaps based on poor judgment or impulsive behavior. It's very common for my patients to uh, decide that if they can make a right on red, they can make a left on red and do impulsive things. For example, I had one lady who uh, decided that the car ahead of her had been sitting at a red light for too long, and she pushed the lady's car into traffic, which was a funeral procession, and almost hit a policeman. Conflicts with neighbors are common. Uh, conflicts with co-workers. The other thing we see very early that's impulsive uh, is bowel and bladder accidents when the person feels stressed. As the disease progresses, impulsiveness occurs not just in the behavioral variant type of disease, but the disease spreads by moving across the brain so that all of the patients with frontotemporal dementia will become uh, impulsive. So oftentimes this impulsivity, it seems to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is what raises the red flag and leads the the family caregiver, the adult child or the spouse to start on this, let's figure out what's wrong. However, I think it takes a little bit to get to that place where you're just not believing that the the impulsive behavior is appropriate behavior, meaning that in a marriage where the extramarital affairs start, I think a spouse can say, oh, my gosh, it's me. What have I done? I can't save this marriage. It's a disease process. So it's so insidious in that way. So how do we cope with these behaviors that we see as impulsive, and yet the person with FTD does not? Well, the patient with FTD has no insight. And that's a symptom of the disease. It's a hallmark of the disease. They really, you can tell them 4,000 times every hour that they have a disease and they'll go, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, but I'm fine. Um, So that's part of it. The other part of it is related to retrogenesis. Retrogenesis is when a person begins to go backwards developmentally. So in the reverse, they go backwards through um, childhood coping mechanisms. And you think about a three or four or five-year-old child, and while the patient doesn't become a child, their coping and their ability to understand the needs of others and that sort of thing, and the ability to control impulses is all going away as a normal part of the disease. Um, If an impulsive behavior happens, it's likely to happen again. Um, and it can be reinforced uh, if the the behavior has been successful for the person. Uh, Uh, mm. One of the things that we... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, boy, is that interesting. So the impulsive behavior continues when the person with FTD has had success with that impulsive behavior. Yes. No. one example, I had uh, a patient who would, uh, they went up to Flagstaff for the summer, um, and he would wander into other people's homes. And, you know, the people who lived in the homes didn't want to keep the houses locked, um, and so they just 
suddenly walk into their living room and there he was. Um, and initially they sort of reassured him that everything was okay and everything, and he just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. So these are not simple behaviors. They're very complex behaviors. The other thing is that the person going backwards developmentally, that's a very tough concept to get because when you find a child who's done something that's impulsive, you know, they've walked around the block without supervision or something like that, you know, you can sit down with a child and say, now don't do this, it's dangerous, don't ever do this again, and you expect that child to be able to control that. Our patients can't do that. So I have patients who do very scary things. Um, for example, I had one lady, a patient who jumped off a uh, cruise ship tender when he decided he needed to go to the bathroom um, and went overboard. Um, and, you know, the wife sat down and said, now don't do this again, you know, and it just happens again because the patient can't stop it. Again, this this going backwards developmentally. If the person is an adult, we expect adults to learn and understand what's safe, what's not safe, uh, what's just generally unwise. Um, the person with uh, FTD is coping like a five-year-old or a seven-year-old, um, and that's very difficult for caregivers and families to really understand because the patient looks normal, they sound normal, they're just, uh, they may be a little more strident in what they want to do um, in terms of I'm going to go to the bank and I'm going to take out money and I'm going to buy alcohol and I'm going to do this and this and this. Um, but they look normal. And very often when the family is trying or the caregiver is trying to get the family to understand, there's a lot of conflict because dad or mom looks so good and sounds so good. So here I think is what we struggle with is we want to keep our carry safe. And yet, as we understand a disease process, we also become concerned about other family members. So we want yeah. to make sure that they, they remain safe. And we, we need to be safe, too. That's how, true. How, do we, how do we do that? The first thing you have to do is acknowledge that this is not normal behavior. And families will very often say, well, gosh, he's always been really assertive or he's always been bad with money. Well, now he's much worse to the, the level that it's uh, pathologic. And so admitting it to yourself that you have a problem is huge, and it's probably the most difficult part of the process. Second thing is, you know, you don't want to lose your temper with the person. Um but you have to intervene somehow. For example, when I talk about safety, I'm talking about also financial safety because I, I've had, I had one patient who um, played a, a particular sweepstakes every day thinking that he was going to win a Jaguar car. And all he had to do was choose whether he wanted a red one or a blue one he spent $700,000 on sweepstakes trying to get this car. And I said to him at one point, you know, you could have had 10 of the car that, 
that you want for the money you've spent on that. And he just couldn't get it. And the family said, oh, you know, we don't want to hurt Dad's feelings. And they lost everything. They lost their home. Everything. Yeah. And so this impulsive behavior stuff is really important. Um, You know, first of all, when you recognize that this is uh, an impulsive behavior, understand that this is normal for FTD. It doesn't mean you have to um, put up with it, but it's just a symptom. It is not something that your person is doing for you to spite you, although it will seem like it is. Um, It's not your fault, but at the same time, it's not the patient's fault either. Um, The patient cannot be disciplined or lectured with the expectation that the behavior will not recur. It is going to recur because it's a symptom. Um, It's almost like if you look at, think about the human body, it's almost like somebody climbed inside the person with FTD with bad judgment and pushed them out of control. Um, and it's, it's like you're dealing with a stranger during the impulsive um, moments. Try not to lose your temper and deal with things quickly, quietly, and with, this is the hard part, minimal discussion because the discussion is going to produce an argument. Um, I frequently have patients who uh, are gentlemen who bicycle, and they'll bicycle all over the Phoenix area, and their spouses are trying to get them off the bike. They'll come home with uh, scrapes and bruises and everything, and they they can't tell you how this happened or anything. And so discussing it and discussing it and discussing it isn't going to work. You just have to do something like take the bike or disable the bike. Um, You have to uh, try to act and prevent getting into the same situation. I have a lot of patients who shoplift. You know, they go into a store uh, and they see nicely displayed merchandise and they take it and they have no sense of right or wrong. Um, And the best thing to do is just get the item back and give it back to the storekeeper. Um, There are business cards that you can get that say, please excuse my loved one. They have an illness that affects their thinking, um, period. And those, we strongly encourage families and caregivers to uh, keep a stash of those with with them. Uh, If the person is beginning to shoplift, don't take them to the store. It's sort of asking for trouble. Um, Try not to lose your temper, but we all lose our temper at times. Um, It's just that it's going to cause more problems than it's going to solve. Um, One of the things we do um, when reasoning with the person, instead of reasoning, we have a technique for solving arguments and the first thing you want to do is agree with them. I understand you're upset about this. Um, the bike has to go. It needs to go in for work. Um, apologize. I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry you're upset. And then vow to fix it. You know, we'll get you a new bike or we'll start looking at getting your bike fixed in the morning. That fortunately never happens. 
Um, one of the things that you learn in FTD with impulsive behavior is that honesty is not always the best approach. Um, caregivers will say in our support groups that they never dreamed how much they would lie to their loved ones mm-hmm. before. But um, what happens is if you begin to try and correct and reason and that sort of thing, you get into these circular discussions of, you know, yes, you did, no, you didn't, yes, you did, and it it goes nowhere. So you're going to be a quiet, calm um, person who does what they have to do, and you're not going to ask permission, you're not going to explain that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, another impulsive behavior that we see a lot of is overeating. Uh, I, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Clean, yeah. clean out a refrigerator overnight. Um, and a lot of caregivers will get um, another um, refrigerator and put a padlock on it uh, in order to keep enough food in the house for everybody um, and put just sort of stuff like salad and lettuce and all that um, in the refrigerator that the family used to use. Um so it, you're not discussing it. You're not saying, I'm doing this to modify the refrigerator now so you won't eat it. Um, and saying don't eat to somebody who's hyperoral, is, it just doesn't work. So the slightly, we call them therapeutic fiblets, the slightly yeah. dishonest approach to dealing with behavior problems and impulsivity. Um, so as, Your person you- should always have a medic alert bracelet on. Um, so that um, in a public situation, if they start to say something rude, like it's not uncommon for people to walk up to me and say, you sure are fat. And it's like, you know, when did that happen? Um, You know, I had one patient who she came into my exam room with her family, and she said, I don't want you as my provider. And I said, oh, why? And she said, you're too old. I want someone who's younger and who will know more than you do. And the family was absolutely mortified. And we just kind of went on with the interview, and it was fine. Um, very important. You need to ask yourself, is this safe? Is this mm-hmm. behavior safe? You know, riding all over Phoenix on a, a, a bike, um, particularly in the summer, it is not a safe behavior. Um, and is this safe for others, and is this safe for me? Um, very often we see uh, patients who have weapons in the home, um, and it doesn't matter what you think about the, the Second Amendment. You don't want someone who has difficulty with inhibitions having guns in the house because you never know what's going to happen. You as a caregiver need to have somebody take the person out to lunch or you take the person out to lunch and then have another family member come in and get the guns out of the house or at very minimum in a locked gun safe where the patient does not have the key. Um, So, So what you've been talking about really is access. So it's, the access that you want to try to block. So when the shoplifting starts, you don't go to the store. You get rid of the guns. Um, I would imagine 
um, alcohol and drugs could also be something perhaps. Yes. That could be impulsive behavior. So you'd, you'd remove those things as well. Yeah, one- another thing we do fairly early is we have the families limit access to the bank account or yes. to the money that should be in the bank account so that the caregiver comes in and has hopefully a joint account where they can take all but a certain amount of money they can afford to lose each month in uh, in the regular account and then opens a new account for the uh, dealing with bills and and day-to-day management. Um, We do away with credit cards because credit cards can get you into a lot of trouble, Um, particularly if you've got somebody who's shopping online. Um, You know, the Internet gives us wonderful things, but it also gives us new problems that we've never dealt with before. Mm -hmm. What we usually suggest is to give the patient a renewable gift card that looks like a Visa or a MasterCard and let them use that. And if it's got $50 on it, when it runs out of money, you know, then you can add another 50 or whatever you feel you can afford in it, and that keeps your finances safe. And, you know, when the person says, I don't understand why I'm having problems with credit, make something up well, gee, I know the bank's been having problems with credit cards and maybe this is their way of, you know, um, limiting people uh, and their losses. You know, make something up. Again, dishonesty is, or honesty, I take it, in FCD is vastly overrated. Um, Something else you can do, too, is you can freeze their credit so they can't open lines of credit can't get another credit card, and that way... I need to know more about that, because we've had a horrible time with that. With freezing credit? Yeah. Yeah, uh, so you just want to contact the the three credit bureaus and and have them freeze the credit, so nothing can be opened. So no lo- new lines of credit, no new credit cards, and that okay. can be helpful, too. That can be helpful, That's very too. helpful. I'll, yeah, I'll send you a link to an article um, that Thank you. describes more. I, I wanted to ask about the sexual impulsivity because that's the part that we don't like to talk about. We're worried about it, and we don't necessarily know how to manage it. So how do okay. we, when we think about access in that way, how do we make sure that nothing inappropriate happens sexually? Well, again, you can't prevent everything, but um, you can limit the person's access to young children. Um, Again, they should have a medic alert bracelet on. You should have the ID cards. Um, Know that there are no medications that will really diminish the libido very much. Um, We have had patients who, if they're masturbating, we will give them a subscription to Playboy magazine, um, you know, and it's benign at, at best. Um, sometimes an antidepressant, uh, citalopram is the one that we tend to use, will diminish the libido. Um, and the other is just being uh, aware that if the person is going to make a sexual gesture towards someone that you're supervising and 
kind of getting them out of there and asking forgiveness from the people that they're being uh, over with. Um, it's, it is very difficult. Um, sexual um, acting out is a, a fairly common reason for placement. Um, but even in long-term care, it presents problems because the patient is not looking for a lifelong partner or someone they love. They're just looking for gratification. Mm. And so they don't, you know, even though the patient may be 45 or 55, um, they have no compunction about um, not uh, approaching grandmothers and that sort of thing or climbing into bed with other residents. It's, yeah, and I think it's, a, it's tough. And I think about a situation where it could be an adult daughter caring for her father, and her father starts to have inappropriate sexual thoughts that he acts out on her. Mm-hmm. And if they live in the same house, oh, my heavens. And it's a, it's a tough topic to talk about, so you might not know what to do. And it's you might also want to investigate a psychiatric stay um, to see if they can't get some level. You know, people say, well, I don't want to zombify my loved one, but, you know, if it's that or move, or the solution may be that they have to move. You know, that's one of those things that are you safe? Right. Yeah. Speaking of that, yeah. I want to, I notice we're running short on time. I wanted to um, remark on two other things. Um, driving will need to be stopped. The patient will have impulsive behaviors um, during driving, um, you know, the right on red and the left on red and distracted driving. Um, so impulsive behaviors are normal. It's not uncommon for our, our patients to start racing with people, driving too fast, driving too slow. If you're interacting with law enforcement, such uh, such as police, uh, firemen, bank officers, medical providers, be honest. Don't try and oh, it's not that bad. Families will very often not tell us things, and then they sort of expect that we're supposed to intuit it, and we can't. We need to know the problem. You should go to a doctor's appointment with a, a file card with one or two things that have been a real problem and hand it to the staff immediately before seeing the physician. If, um, you know, if you hand them something that's two pages or uh, many patients will hand us something that's 15 pages, um, I don't have time to read that. Um, and so it probably gets put aside when you're trying to speak with the family and with the patient. So have a file card with just a couple of things that somebody can glance at and get an idea of what the biggest problems are. Um, when you've got a patient who's doing impulsive things, don't try to hide or minimize the impact of the disease. Don't try to reason with the patient. Their reasoner is broken. Um, don't regard this as a teachable moment because that's not going to happen. Don't expect friends or family to understand when you set limits. Why are you taking daddy's credit card? He seems fine to me. Um, don't expect that. You know, you do what you can to intervene, and then you do the best you can, and then you let it go. 
Yeah, all just fantastic tips. And when when I think about what today's show has really been about is to keep yourself safe. Do what you can to prevent access. And in some regard, it's thinking ahead as to what could be the next thing. And, and it's don't important. blame yourself. Yeah, don't blame yourself. And, boy, it's hard to withstand the criticism from family members and know that you're doing the right thing because you're keeping your caree safe and you're keeping yourself safe. And that's just as important. So we've got just about a minute left. Last thoughts, Jerry, that you'd like to offer to our listeners? Yeah, um, people with FTD very often do better in an institutional setting. Um, You know, it's not like putting mom with Alzheimer's uh, where she's unhappy and miserable. Very often, because there are so few social demands placed in an institution on our patients, and, you know, you don't have to fit in, you don't have to, you know, do activities, you can do your own thing. Um, So they do well. In a patient that's very behaviorally challenged, they are going to be placed earlier. There's no such thing as waiting for the right time. The right time is when you need it. Yeah, I love that. That's such an important point because we can think, it's okay, I can keep doing this when it's important to keep your safety, your well-being in mind. It's critical. It's critical. Dr. Jerry Hall, thank you so much for being with us today. You're so welcome. And just a reminder, Sharon will be back. And she and Dr. Hall meet on the last Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Eastern Time to talk about how to help you manage FTD and continue to care for the family member in your life who has it. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we always love to know. Take care. Bye-bye.